The following program is presented by the National Committee on United States-China Relations, www.ncuscr.org. <笑>会唱那么流利的可是我今天不用中文讲话你知道为什么是因为我的中文实在这儿开始如果我在这儿用中文讲话我一直会听我的老师说你的反应不对 You know, coming to Sanders Theater, it's just so many memories come flooding back. You know, I registered, you know, is freshman registration still right here? It's not here anymore. Well, it used to be right here. We had freshman registration. I remember coming here in 1968 from a public high school in New York and being very nervous about being surrounded by all of the smart kids. And um, one of the things, as I was coming here today, I, I thought, one of the things that was so remarkable about my class, and is so different about the classes today, is, do you know how many ethnic Chinese were in my class? How many ethnic Chinese? And there were only men in my class. There were no women at Harvard at that point. There was Radcliffe that was separate. So of the 1,200 students in my class, there were 13 ethnic Chinese. And I have their addresses, they published their addresses. 11 were in the United States. One was from Malaysia, and one was from Hong Kong. So that has changed so enormously that what I really would like to do today, and I think when I talk about, when we think about, when I think about can China lead, I really think the answer is to some degree in this room. Because what you do with your lives will be incredibly important in whether China can lead. So what I'd like to do is really talk about vision, just briefly, talk about failure, and talk about our obligations to society because of what we've been given. And first, I want to set the record straight about something. If you, have ever, if you ever Google me and look at all the, you know, the, 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 the interviews, they all, every, all the media, the Chinese media and the U.S. media, always say, Oh, Sun, you're一个远见, In fact, in 44 years, next, uh, next Thursday, no, a week from Thursday, on May 1st, 1970, I decided I was going to start studying Chinese. And it had nothing to do with vision. It actually had to do with values. I grew up in a family like many of you will grow up in families or have grown up in families 
My mother was an immigrant to the United States. My paternal grandparents were immigrants to the United States. And they used to tell us, but for America, but for the American government, you don't exist. You were never born. So you owe the American people, you owe the American government an obligation. And when I was growing up, I wanted to go to West Point. I thought, you know, she did Junxiao was the best way to serve the country. But something called the war in Vietnam intervened. And I got very involved in the protest against U.S. involvement in the war in Vietnam. And now I know Professor Kirby knows and a few other people know, but on May 1st, on, on April 30th, 1970, the protest in America erupted because President Nixon decided to invade Cambodia. And Harvard was totally torn apart by that protest. All the windows in Harvard Square were broken. School was in turmoil, and school was canceled. The remainder of the semester was canceled. I was a student, I was a sophomore, and I went to my professor of Vietnamese history, Alex Woodside, and I said to him, I want to understand why good people, do bad things, the war in Vietnam. I want to study Vietnamese. He was very busy. So he said, oh, Steve, study Chinese. You'll understand more. And I'll get you a fellowship. Go on. He left. And then he said, wait, come to 1737 Cambridge Street, just right down the street, and you can fill out a form. So the next day, I went to his office. He wasn't there, and I was just about ready to leave. And his secretary saw me and said, are you Steve Orleans? And I said, yes. And she gave me a form, and I filled it out, and it was a form for a National Defense Foreign Language Fellowship, which I then gave to her, and I went home. Now, semester ended one month early, so I had a great job when I got home. I was putting groceries in bags at the supermarket. That was my job. That's what a Harvard sophomore got to do. He got the bad groceries. So I come home one day, and there's a, there's a letter from the Defense Department, and my mother is crying. You know why? Because I'm going to have a So she was very worried. And uh, I open it, and it's, of course, the fellowship, and I started studying Chinese. But it wasn't about vision. I didn't have a vision of what was going to happen. I was doing the right thing. But it wasn't really about vision. So what I say to you is, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. You can't have a vision which is going to show you the next 20 or 30 years. So many of you come in to see me, and you say, I'm not sure. Well, my response is often what the Nike ad is. Just do it. Just do it. Michael, so everybody knows Michael Jordan, I hope. You don't know Michael Jordan? I'm not hearing anything. Do you know Michael Jordan? 
The basketball player, the greatest basketball player ever in American history, even better than Yao Ming. <laughs> he has a quote which I love. He says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over again in my life, and that's why I succeed. And I think that's so true. I was, when Eric was reciting all of my accomplishments, I said, that's pretty short, but if you listed my failures, wow, wait a job. I always think back to when I graduated, you know, then I went on to the law school here, and I had a great run for a number of years. I was in the State Department, and I had the great experience of working on the establishment of diplomatic relations. I was very fortunate to get to run Lehman Brothers Asia. And then I came back to the United States, and I decided, you know, kind of way out way out, Josh. I wanted to go back to my, where I was grown up, and I decided I was going to run for political office. I thought the United States needed a Chinese-speaking congressman. So I ran. I left Lehman Brothers, and I ran for Congress. And I've had, I just had, had such a good run for so many years. I thought, I could do the impossible. I could win. And I went from 40 down in the polls, to 30 down in the polls, to 20 down in the polls, to 10 down in the polls, to in the days before the election, even it was even, and I was so excited on the day of the election. All the cameras came, ABC, NBC, CBS, they were all there, because this unknown me was going to be elected to Congress. And 300,000 people voted in that election in my district. And I fell short by a few thousand votes. And one of the things about defeat in politics, it's like defeat in sports. Sports and politics, you can't hide. Everyone knows it's in the front page of the newspaper. Everybody knows you failed. Everybody knows. So there's nothing you can do to hide. But what happened then? What happened from that day on? was I went on to a new career from Lehman. If I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have left Lehman Brothers. I probably would have still been there when it went bankrupt. <laughs> but I went on to a new career, which opened up so many other possibilities for me and made my life so much better and in so many ways allowed me to do what I do today and make this contribution to the U.S.-China relationship. You know, you all, and the Chinese always say, and it's true. So I would also say to you, my second point is really, don't fear failure. It's good to fail. I've learned more from my failures than I have from my successes. And it's going to take you to places where you're going to be able to make greater contributions
to whatever it is that you want to do. Bill Gates, when he spoke at Harvard in 2007 at the graduation, quoted, quoted my hero, John F. Kennedy, when he said, to those who much is given, much is expected. I would say to all of you students, you have studied or are studying at the finest institutions in the United States, the finest institutions of higher learning. Many of you have studied at the finest institutions in China. You have benefited from the decisions made by the Chinese government and by the American governments that have allowed you to experience this extraordinary education that you were given. My parents, as I said at the very beginning of this talk, taught me that without the American people and without the American government, I would not, ex I would not exist and I would not have the opportunity to receive the education and make the contributions that I've made. And I would say the same is true for you. You have an obligation to serve the U.S.-China relationship because you have benefited, benefited from it more than almost anyone. Because that relationship has prospered over these 44 years, you are being offered the greatest opportunities imaginable. I couldn't have imagined those opportunities when we established diplomatic relations in 1979, but they're now in front of you. And when you do the right thing, when you make the right decisions, I am sure, Min Kenwei Gang Hong is in the right.